for this precious opportunity that God's given us to meet together here in His house. It's good to see each one of you. Very much appreciate the, uh, the song service, and uh, we appreciate the prayer that's been offered by our brother in the Lord Jesus Christ and the words from Elder Charles Smith. Um, and I will amen that. There, there's no bad news in the gospel. Bad news is from the world. Bad news comes from the devil. And I'm here at the house of God today to hear, hear some good news. I want to hear about the Lord, and uh, I want to hear about his glory and his grace and his goodness and his power and his ability to help us in our time of need. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I, I trust that you do. The house of God's a good place to bring your Bible. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 7 as we consider the miracle in Samaria and the four lepers. Before we read verses 1 through 9 in 2 Kings chapter 7, I would like to, uh, to get the congregation up, up, up to speed concerning this lesson in 2 Kings chapter 7. I remember when uh, Sister Jennifer and I were, were married, anyone could, uh, could ask Sister Jennifer if, I, if she had a picture of me, and I'm sure she'd have one real quick. It's probably at, at the top because I was, I was, her, I was her husband. After Joshua was born, my picture wasn't always on the top. Matter of fact, uh, Joshua's pictures began to cover our refrigerator, our family books, and I wasn't jealous of that. I love Joshua. Sometimes I'm sure someone would come to Sister Jennifer and, and say, do you, do you have a picture of Joshua? And she'd say, yes, here he is. Has anyone ever asked you for a picture of your children or maybe your spouse? And you'd say, here he, here he is, or here she is, showing them the picture. The picture is not them, but it's a picture of them. In the Old Testament, sometimes we read lessons, experiences in the lives of the saints, the children of God, and there are pictures there of, of something greater. It's not exactly it, but it's a picture of it. Sometimes we can go in the Old Testament and we can see characters or, or even animals. And, and when we see what, what happened with those animals and those people, we can say, you know, that's, that's a picture of Jesus Christ. Like, for instance, Leviticus chapter 16, those, those two goats... They were offered, one was killed, the other taken to a land uninhabited. We'd say that's a picture, a type or a figure of Jesus and what he'd done for us on the cross. He died for our sins, but he also took our sins into a land uninhabited where you can't find them anymore. He separated us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now those two goats are not Jesus, but they're a picture of Jesus and what he did on the cross. Genesis chapter 22, you remember when Abraham took Isaac up on the Mount of Moriah and he's ready to offer his son to the Lord and the angel of the Lord stayed his hand and the Bible said he looked behind him and saw a ram caught in a thicket and that ram was offered in Isaac's stead. What it means is the ram died and Isaac was set free. That is a picture, the ram is, of the Lord Jesus Christ being offered in our stead and us being set free 
from sin. You know what happened to Isaac that day? He got to go home with mom and daddy. And because Jesus Christ was offered in our stead, one day we're going to get to go home and be with our Father in heaven. Now that is not Jesus. The ram is not Jesus. But it's a picture of Jesus. You remember Jesus said in the Gospel of John chapter 5, Search the Scriptures, verse 39, For in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. Meaning this, the Old Testament was a continual testimony pointing forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in 2 Kings chapter 7, we have an event in the life of Elisha the prophet, an experience of his and all the people of Samaria there in Israel, the king of Samaria, the northern tribes. And it is a great deliverance that I believe teaches us something about the deliverance that we have from the eternal condemnation of sin. Now, this is not eternal salvation, but we see a picture of what the Lord has done for us in delivering us from the condemnation of sin right here in 2 Kings chapter 7. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel. In the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. What just happened there? That, that Lord on whose hand the king leaned, he said, I don't care if God opened up the windows of heaven, this is not going to happen. And Elisha said, you'll see it with your eyes, but you're not going to partake of it. Verse 3. And there were four leprous men in the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and, if, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall under the host of the Syrians, if they save us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. Verse 5, And they arose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians, and when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink, and carried thence silver and gold and raiment, and went and hid it. And came again and entered into another tent, and carried thence also, and went and hid it. Two times we read the word hid. Verse 9, Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us, now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. 
Last Sunday, we labored concerning the deliverance of Elisha and the men of God. You recall the Syrians surrounded them. Elisha's servant awoke and saw the armies that surrounded them in the mountains. He was afraid. What are we going to do now? Elisha told him there would be more with us than there are with them. And Elisha prayed, and the Lord opened up the eyes of the servant, and he saw the angels of the Lord and the chariots and the power of God surrounding Elisha. Because of that power, the Lord also blinded the Syrians who surrounded Elisha. Elisha took the Syrians right into the camp of Israel, and here you have the individuals that trusted in their own strength with their eyes wide open. They became blinded and in bondage. And those that were afraid because of the power of the Lord, the servant, his eyes were opened and he saw the deliverance of God. What happened? The king of Syria got mad. Benadad, the king of Syria, was already mad, upset. He thought in the beginning, somebody's in my camp and he's telling Elisha everything that I say in my bedchamber. But it was the Lord that was revealing it to Elisha. He sent armies to surround Elisha. We're going to get this man, this man that's doing this to us. He failed in that attempt. Now he's, he's really upset. So what does he do? He takes all the army of Syria, the, all the power. You go surround Samaria. and We're going to cut them off of all food. And they did. If you read the end of 2 Kings chapter 6, you'll read that that city had been cut off from food so long by the armies of Syria. There were women in that city that were boiling and eating their own children. They were starving. They were starving so much that the head of a donkey could be sold for a large amount of money. Even doves dung, because they were so hungry, could be sold for a large portion of money. They were hungry. They were starving. And Elisha, he says in chapter 7 and verse 1, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord tomorrow about this time. Shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, which is a small amount of money, and two measures of barley for a shekel? What he's saying is about tomorrow, about this time, we're going to have food in abundance. And, of course, the man said, yeah, that's impossible. The Syrians have surrounded us. We have no food coming in. There's nothing coming in the east gate. There's nothing coming in the sheep gate. We're starving here. There's no way that that can happen. You know, the children of Israel here in 2 Kings chapter 7 have, have gotten themselves in some major trouble. Would you agree? And the trouble that they're in has really been brought upon them by their own accord. All the problems that Israel had through history was because they sinned against God. Have you ever noticed in the book of Judges, every time the Lord blessed Israel to enjoy fellowship with him, the Bible would teach us that they'd forget about the Lord's ways and they'd do what was right in their own eyes. You know, man always gets himself in trouble when he's doing things that are right in his own eyes. The children of Israel have gotten themselves in some major trouble. They're surrounded, and there's no way out. This man says, even if the Lord opened up the windows of heaven, there's no way. You know, my family and I have decided to use one of the Bible reading schedules that I sent out to you. And we read this this week, earlier in the week, about Adam and Eve there in the garden and all that God blessed them to have. I had one event that happened this week that's kind of funny, and, and I always give an opportunity for my children at the end of the reading if they have a question to ask, or Sister Jennifer, and sometimes I have a question to ask to see if they've got an answer. 
We got there in Genesis chapter 4 when the Bible said that Adam knew his wife Eve. And that's when they came together as husband and wife. And I told Joshua and Sarah Beth, I said, that's when they were together and married. And Sarah Beth said, what was the theme of their wedding? <laughs> I said, it was all flowers, Sarah Beth. But you know, there's no question too small or big. She wanted to know and I labored to answer. You know, when you think about Adam and Eve, when God made Adam... God made Adam upright. And God took a rib from his side and he made Eve. And she was upright. And they were in that garden that God gave them and, and life was good. <laughs> they could eat of every tree of the garden freely. Life was good. They were happy. And all they had to do was just do what God said. But God said there's one thing they would not eat. He said if you eat it, and that day you're going to die. You're going to be separated from me. When Adam partook of that that God told him not to eat, he represented us all. We were all in him. See, when God finished creation on the sixth day, creation was done. We were all in Adam. Every one of us was in Adam. See, when someone is born into this world, God is not continually creating souls and spirits. No, we were all in Adam. And we've all come forth from Adam. We were all represented in Adam. So when Adam spoke, he spoke for us all. That's the doctrine of representation. I mean, we should all know something about representation. After the last several months and everything that's going on in Washington, D.C., we have men that are in Washington, D.C. right now that are our representative. When they speak, they speak for us. Adam, when he spoke, when he did, he did for all of us. We were all in him. And when he sinned against God, man got himself in some trouble. Man got himself in some real trouble. God did not cause man to do that. The Bible says in Romans 5, 12, wherefore is by one man, not God and man, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world. Didn't say one woman. Said one man. Adam spoke for us all. Eve did not fall and then Adam fall with her. No, we all fell in Adam. He was the head and representative. And since we were all in him, guess what? Just as the children of Israel here are in big trouble and they can't get themselves out, yeah, man is in big trouble. And he can't get himself out. If you read Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, and if you'd like to turn there with me, I'll, I'll point out a few things there that I've noticed in those few verses. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, the Apostle Paul teaches us something about man and the trouble that he is in with sin. If you notice with me in verse 6, the Apostle Paul said, Man without God in sin is unable to help himself. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Notice that didn't say he's low on strength. He's without strength. He cannot help himself. Man in sin cannot help himself. It's beyond his ability. You remember the Apostle Paul wrote to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. What it means is beyond his ability. How many of you remember in elementary school asking the teacher, can I go outside? And she would say, you mean may I go outside? You're able. 
to go outside, but you're asking and requesting if you may go outside. When something is said to be can, it's referring to our ability. And man without God in sin, he cannot help himself. No matter how much information you give him, no matter what you tell him to do, he cannot help himself. Notice with me in Romans chapter 3. The Apostle Paul ends verse 9 by saying we have before proved that both Jews and Gentiles that they're all under sin. That means everybody is under sin and everybody that's representing Adam, notice what he says their abilities are. There is none righteous, no, not one. What that means is without God, they cannot do anything righteous. Verse 11, there is none that understandeth. No matter how much we try to press in their mind how they need God, Unless God is already in them, they do not see a need of God. There's none that understandeth. So if someone tells you all you got to do is just make somebody understand and you can turn them into a child of God, that text says you cannot. It's beyond their ability. There is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. If someone would say a person, all they would need to do is do one good thing and they can become a child of God, it's beyond their ability to do one good thing. Man cannot. He's got himself in trouble and he can't get himself out. Back to Romans chapter 5, not only is man unable to help himself, verse 10, he is unwilling to help himself. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, man without God is the enemy of God. If you ever heard anybody say man has a free will, that's not true. Man has a will not without God. He will not behold those things of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 10, Let favor be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will not behold the majesty of the Lord. He will not. You remember Jesus said to Psalm in John chapter 5 and verse 40, Ye will not come to me that you might have life. You will not. Man will not. Man does not see himself in need. Therefore, he does not need God. Man in sin will not come to the Lord. He is at enmity with the Lord. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. But not only is he unable, unwilling, if he was willing and able, he's still unacceptable. Because notice with me in verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet Sinners, in order for us to stand before God, reconciled and in fellowship with God, we cannot be in a sinful state. I cannot lift myself up by the bootstraps and stand before God and say, I am right. I am a filthy sinner, and unless God Himself, by His will, washes me from my transgressions, and pays for all of my sin before the only judge that matters, and that's God the Father. I cannot stand before the Lord. Man has got himself in trouble, and he is unable, he is unwilling to help himself, and if he could help himself and would help himself, he's still unacceptable in the sight of God. Back to 2 Kings chapter 7, the children of Israel, they've got themselves in trouble. They can't get themselves out. What is it going to take for them to be helped? It's going to take a miracle from God, right? God is going to have to reach down and do something amazing. You know what God did? He reached down and did something amazing for these people. The Syrians that had surrounded them, 
this trouble that they had, God sent a noise of a host. And they thought it was the Hittites and the Egyptians that the, the armies or the nation of Israel had hired, but they did not. It was the power of God is what it was. It was the amazing power of God that reached down from heaven and performed a great miracle, and the Syrians fled. Brothers and sisters, do you know what's happened? You know what's been done for us that could not help ourselves, that are unwilling to help ourselves, that are unacceptable in the sight of God? It's God himself, in his great love and mercy, has sent his eternal Son from glory above down to this earth and performed a great miracle by him dying and offering himself in our room instead on the cross of Calvary. Do you realize it was a great miracle when there was a virgin who had never known a man that was conceived of the Holy Spirit and brought forth the eternal Son of God. The Bible does not say he would become the Son of God. The Bible does not say he would finally be the Son of God. The Bible said that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Why? Because he is the eternal Son of God that came down for glory with the purpose of saving his people from their sins. You know what he did? He came down and did something that no man could do. He lived a perfect life. Have you lived a perfect life? No one's lived a perfect life. I can tell you, it causes us to be much more empathetic and sympathetic toward other people when we realize we haven't lived a perfect life. I mean, it's easy to be a Pharisee when you can't see your own sin. Yeah, I see my own sin. I see my own faults. I see I'm an ungodly sinner in the sight of God. A preacher doesn't have to convince me that I deserve hell. I know I deserve hell. I'm a sinner. I feel to be the chief of sinners. The Apostle Paul was inspired to write that he was the chief of sinners. But the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, he lived a perfect life. You know, Pontius Pilate, after hours of examining him, drilling the Lord Jesus Christ, he said in John chapter 18, verse 38, I find no, in him no fault at all. The Bible teaches he's separate from sinners. He's without sin. There's no guile in his mouth. He's perfect. What a miracle we see in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he that came down from heaven that was born of a virgin that lived a perfect life. And someone would say, why, why is it so important that he lived a perfect life? See, his righteousness is imputed to us. And our sins were placed on him at the cross of Calvary. You know what's going to happen when we get to heaven, dear children of God? Because his righteousness has been imputed to you. It's going to be just like you never sinned, Brother Charles. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, you remember when the Lord would come and sit on the throne of his glory and before him would be gathered all nations and he would separate them one from another. The shepherd would separate what his sheep from the goats. He'd put the sheep on his right hand but the goats on his left. You remember the king would say to them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, prepare for you for the foundation of the world because I was hungry and you gave me meat. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison you come unto me. I was naked and you clothed me. I would ask everyone in this building and everyone that's listening on the AM radio transmitter, have you done all those things in your life? Every time someone was sick, did you go visit them? Every time someone was needing something, did you give it to them? Did you visit everybody in prison? I have not and you have not either. But I'll tell you one that did every one of those things. You know who he is? His name is Jesus. He did every 
one of those things. If we have done any of those things, it is only evidence that God is in our heart. Otherwise, we would not want to do those things because there'd be no good in us without God being in us. But the Lord Jesus Christ did all of those things. And he that done all of those things has took his righteousness and imputed to you so that when you get to heaven, it'll be just like you've done all of those things. And that one that done all those things in your room instead, that's imputed his righteousness to you, he went to the cross and all of our sins, not some of our sins, not part of our sins, but all of our sins were laid upon him and he satisfied the only judge that mattered when he gave his life. And when you think about what Jesus did, Jesus either paid for some of the sins of some of the people, some of the sins of all of the people, or all of the sins of some of the people. Now, if he paid for some of the sins of all the people, none of us are going to be in heaven. Because we have nothing to offer God to make up for the rest. I don't have anything to give to God. You'd say, well, I'll tell you what, Brother Ronnie. I got some money in my bank account. Well, God's just letting you keep that for a little while. That's really his. See, all the world belongs to God. David told us that in Psalms chapter 50. The world is his. My little house I got down here on Sincerity Road, God's letting me live in it for a little while. It belongs to him. Yeah, I got my name on it, and there's a bank out there that knows I paid for it, but no, it's really God's. He just let me live in it for a little while. I have nothing to offer God. Nothing whatsoever. If Jesus only paid for some of our sins, guess what? We have nothing to make up for the rest. The only thing that will be in heaven is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, the cherubims, the seraphims, and the angels. That's it. Nobody else will be there. What if Jesus paid for all of the sins of all of the people? If Jesus paid for all of the sins of all of the people, nobody's going to go to hell. There can't be no hell. If Jesus paid for all of the sins of all of the people, nobody can be in hell. How can they be cast into hell? God is a just God. He's a just and holy God. If Jesus paid for all your sins, what sin are you cast in hell for? Someone says, well, you got to believe. Is unbelief a sin? Well, yes. Well, if it's a sin, Jesus paid for it too. If he paid for all the sins of all the people, no one is going to be in hell. But what if he paid for all of the sins of some of the people? And when I say some, I'm talking about most of the people. I noticed something in the book of Genesis this week reading with my children. Not only are the children of God as the sand of the sea and as the stars of heaven, they're also as the dust of the earth. Wow, that's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> Whole lot of them. And when I think about God's family being a big family, see, that gives me hope. God's got a big family. Heaven's a big place. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, didn't die for everybody. He died for his people that was given to him. And that's the people that no man can number. It's most of the people on earth. And when he died for them, he died for all of their sins. And whether they know about it or believe it or not, it was done. And Jesus did that for us. What a great miracle that's been done. Do you know that miracle that was done here by the Lord in 2 Kings chapter 7? It was foretold it'd be done. Didn't Elisha tell you that's, that's what's going to happen? The Lord said, oh, it can't happen, even if God opened up the windows of heaven. God, Elisha said it would happen even before it happened. And the Bible told us that it would happen long before it happened. Because before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ in covenant promised 
to come into this world to die for our sins and him knowing what was before him. The Bible says, truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. He still went forward and suffered all that he suffered because of a sinner like me and his great love for me. Jesus knew that was going to whip his back. The Bible says, the plowers have plowed upon my back, they may long the first. Jesus knew they were going to spit upon him. Jesus knew they beat him so bad his vision would be more marred than any man. Jesus knew this, and he still went forward. He knew they were going to put nails to his hands and feet. Psalms 22, 16 tells us that. But yet he went forward, and he did that anyway. It was foretold, this miracle that God has done. And God came and did the miracle. When God did this miracle in 2 Kings chapter 7, no one in the city even knew about it, did they? Nobody even knows about it. Nobody has the information of the miracle. Then you got these four leprous men. They're in the city. What hope do they have? These leprous men are worthless to society. I mean, nobody can even get close to them. I'm happy to tell you the Lord Jesus Christ, their defilement could not affect him. Isn't that amazing in Mark chapter 1, a man that had leprosy, he come to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, if thou wilt, thou can't make me clean. You know, nobody could touch that leprous man. If they did, they'd be defiled and have leprosy. But that man's defilement could not defile the Lord Jesus Christ. He's perfect and his holiness could not be defiled and that man that was leprous could touch him and not affect him whatsoever. These four lepers, they're, they're, le they're worthless to society. I mean, they can't do a job. They can't do nothing. They have to cover their face anytime they're around anybody. They're hopeless. They say, you know, we're going to die here. We're starving to death. We're going to die. You know, if we stay here, we'll die. If we go into the city, we're going to starve. Let's just go out here and fall in the hands of the Syrians. We're hopeless. We've got no hope. These men were four men that had given up on themselves. But isn't it a great blessing to see that people that give up on themselves, there's no hope for me in my own works. They're the individuals that first see the great miracle of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I look back in my life and I see a time that I gave up on myself. Men have told me to do this. They told me to do that. And I've said this many times. If they have told me to roll a peanut from the back of the church house to the front of the church house and make me feel better and save me from my sins, I would have done it. I would have done it. I did everything they told me to do. But it didn't help me. I still felt like I was going to hell. I finally got to a point I thought God just predestinated me to hell. And there's no hope for me. But me, when I had no hope in me. But I saw I couldn't do it myself. God in his great mercy reached down. And he showed me the great deliverance that was done for me on the cross of Calvary. And there was hope for even an ungodly sinner like me. That Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, would die for me. And these four lepers, they're helpless, hopeless, and worthless to the kingdom. They go outside the city and here they see this great miracle of God and they begin to enjoy all these great blessings. Brothers and sisters, you know what we are this morning in the house of God? We're just a group of lepers that see ourselves as lepers. That we're hopeless and helpless and worthless to the world, worthless to ourselves. But we've come into the house of God and we're enjoying this great miracle that God has done in saving us from our sins. These lepers, they come there and they begin to eat. Enjoying all these great riches. And they look at one another and say, you know, we're, we're not doing well. We're not doing well. we got a whole city out here. This deliverance is theirs. There's a great number of people that's out here. And this deliverance is theirs. God has done this and they've been delivered. 
and they're still living in this city, and they're all in fear and worry about all this trouble. What are we going to do? It's not good that we hide it. Notice twice, hide it. They've got the information. They've got the knowledge. It's not good if we hide it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Lord has blessed us here at the Primitive Baptist Church to have something the world doesn't have. And it's the truth about eternal salvation. And I'm going to tell you the truth about eternal salvation. That's not what saved me from my sins. But I'll tell you what, it saved me from worrying about my sins. It saved me from living in fear about my sins. It has given me comfort and given me peace to know that the Lord Jesus Christ has come into the world and he's offered himself and paid double for all my sins. What does that mean? In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 2, that Jesus has paid double for our sins. What that means is he paid what was enough and more than enough. He has given us reconciliation with the Father and he's taken us to a place where, hallelujah, we can never fall again. Jesus has done more than enough so that we're his. We belong to him and we can never be lost. And the Bible says, neither shall any man pluck us out of his, his hand. There's an entire world out here that doesn't know about that, but they, they have it. How many were in Israel at that time that, that had been blessed with that great miracle? All of them had. <laughs> All of Israel were blessed with this miracle. That entire city of Samaria, that's there in the middle section of Israel itself, they all, the deliverance was for them. How many in the city knew about it? None of them did, just these four lepers. We don't do well. We shouldn't hide this. We need to go tell. Who are we going to tell? Let's go tell the king's household. You know what the children of God are in this world? They're the king's household. They belong to the Lord. They don't need us to save them from hell. That city did not need the lepers to give them deliverance. Deliverance is already by God. That city just needed the lepers to go back in the city and tell them. Tell them what God has done. God has caused a great noise. God has given us deliverance. God has given us the victory. There's all kinds of food. There's all kinds of clothing. All kinds of riches. It's right here. It's been given to us of God. Come and enjoy this blessing of the Lord. We don't do well to hide it. You know, the Bible teaches us that we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. Does a man take a candlestick and put it under his bed, put it under a bushel to hide it? No, God gave us this light. This light would so shine that they would see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. I would tell you, brothers and sisters, the truth that God has blessed us to have. I'm excited to tell about it. I'm excited to get on top of a mountain. I'd love to get on top of a housetop. I'd like to be on the court, courtyard grounds to tell the entire world about this great deliverance that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ because there's numerous children of God that are out there in the world. I want them to know what God has done for them because if you feel guilty for your sin, if you feel that you've come short of the glory of God, if you can look in your life and see the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, and temperance, you're seeing the fruit of the Lord and you belong to Him and He's done a great work for you and I want to tell you about that grace that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ that He paid for all your sins and there's not one that can be laid to your charge and as Danny Wisner would say, well, you're going to heaven one day. And I love that. I love to hear Brother Danny say that. Whoa, you're going to heaven. We're going to heaven one day because of what Jesus done for us. These four lepers, they said, we don't do well. We need to go tell the king's household. And so here they come. Come in the city to tell these people to have this deliverance. Let me tell you. They got different reactions, didn't they? Verse 12, they talked to the king. 
He didn't believe them. No, that's just too good to be true. And the king arose in the night and said to the servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry. Therefore, they go on out of the camp and hid to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we'll catch them alive and, and get in the city. What's the king saying? This is too good to be true. No, this, this, this message these lepers are telling. This is just too good to be true. No, the Syrians are out there hiding. And we go out there and get in that camp. These lepers are telling us they're enjoying. They're going to come back in and they're going to take our entire city. How many children of God, when they hear the message of grace, they think that's just too good to be true? You know, I had someone tell me that one time. You know, Brother Ronnie, I wish that was right. I said, it is right. <laughs> that's just too good to be true that Jesus paid for all of my sins. That Jesus has done it all and I can see the evidence. It's, it's too good to be true, but it's true. It's true and it's good. And it's a blessing to us. This king right here didn't enjoy all those blessings that time because why? It's just too good to be true. He liked the believing and the trust that he should have. We come a little further we find some here, not only is it too good to be true, they, they wouldn't believe or even partly believe. Notice there was some here in verse 13, and one of his servants answered and said, Let some take, I pray thee, five horses that remain, which are left in the city. Behold, they are as all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say that they are even as all the multitude of the Israelites that are consumed. And let us send and, and, and let us see, let us see. What are they? They're partly believing. This, this could be true. But let's check it all out. This could be true, but maybe it's not true. See, that's partly believing. And how many children of God will partly believe? They missed out on some great blessings because they partly believed. But if they just believed the message and just went out there and enjoyed it, they could enjoy that time that they lost, right? How many children of God miss out on great blessings of the Lord because they partly believe? And finally, you'll find that Lord of the King there and he we lean upon verses 17 through 20. He didn't enjoy the blood because he had way too much pride to admit he was wrong. And Elisha told him he wouldn't enjoy those blessings. Notice what happened to him. When the city went out to enjoy all these great blessings of the Lord in verse 20, he was trod underfoot. And I'll tell you, there's many children of God because of pride. Do you remember the Pharisees and the scribes? They wouldn't follow the Lord and believe him because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. How many people fail to enjoy the great blessings of God in the kingdom of heaven because they love the praise of men more than the praise of God? I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, the house of God is not a place for the praise of men. It's a place for the praise of God. This is his house. This is the king's house. But how many children of God miss out on this great blessing of truth of this deliverance because he got too much pride? Too much pride that they would come forward and just say, I believe in the Lord and confess him. You know, we shouldn't be people that say it's too good to be true, we should say it's good and it's true and I believe it. We shouldn't be people that partly believe, but we should believe God with our whole heart. I believe you've done it for me, our Lord Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be people that's filled up with pride to say this is hindering me from following Him. No, we should lay it all aside like blind Bartimaeus and follow the Lord, glorifying God. And by doing that, it doesn't make us children of God, but it causes us to enjoy the riches of God's great miracle. I got a brother, Bobby Loudermilk. Many of you know Elder Bobby Loudermilk. And Bobby, sometimes I joke a lot with him. I joke about him with you. I, I love Bobby. He's a good man. Bobby is, uh, is a worrying sort. He is. 
If he gets something on his mind, he'll worry and worry and worry himself, himself sick. Years ago, when I was just young, Bobby actually failed to yield right away to a person. He pulled in front of him, and they hit him in a, in a car accident. It was his fault, and he was, he was charged. But the man was injured. So the man got him an attorney and put a lawsuit together against Bobby concerning all of his injuries. Well, of course, the suit went to Bobby's insurance company and their attorney because Bobby was represented by his insurance company. And Bobby got the letter in the mail. He was under lawsuit. This man was injured in this accident. It's all your fault. You've done it. And Bobby was worried. He's worried. He'd call the insurance company, his agent, every, every day. Call him. Hey, what, do you, what are we going to do? And they would say, you know, it's okay. We got to take care of Mr. Lottermill. Everything's going to be all right. We got to take care of you. You have really good insurance. You're represented well. Our attorneys, everything's going to be fine. Bobby worried, 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 and called and called and called. Finally, my daddy, he took Bobby aside, had one of those father and son talks with him, and said, you know, Bobby, just, just leave him alone. All right, they're taking care of it. It's going to be okay. And Bobby didn't call for a while. You know what happened? The insurance company settled that case and the agent forgot to call Bobby. Two weeks went by and Bobby worried himself to death about that insurance case. But it's already settled. It's already done. His representative had taken care of it. Bobby just worried and worried and worried and worried. He finally called him up and the agent said, oh, I forgot to call you two weeks ago. We've already settled that. It's already done. You know what Bobby did? He believed it. And he rejoiced. Now, what would happen if Bobby would have said, I don't believe it? Would it have changed the case being settled? It would not. It would just hinder his enjoyment of the case being settled. But think about this. There was two weeks there. It was settled and Bobby didn't know anything about it. How many children of God are out in the world right now? Worried about sin. Worried about hell. And the case is already settled. Jesus Christ has satisfied the Father. You know what I am this morning? I'm a helpless and hopeless and worthless leper that does not want to hide this great miracle of the Lord. And I want to tell you, folks that listen on the radio and anybody that will listen, about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for his people. May God rest and bless us in our prayer. Isn't that a precious lesson? Does anyone here this morning like to come forward and ask for a home here at Union Grove Primitive Baptist Church? If you believe the Lord's done a great miracle for you and you want to be identified with people that believe that, come forward while we stand and sing hymn number, hymn number 283.